Hello, I'm Noah, your host, and this is The In-Between Project. Hi, everybody. Um, today I have a very special guest, a childhood friend of mine. My guest is Zora Ilunga Reed. Zora is a current junior studying philosophy and literature at Stanford University. In her free time, she makes some awesome visual and interactive art, which you can find on her website. I will link that in the transcript for this episode, and as well as her Instagram. Uh, Zora, like I said, is actually a childhood friend of mine. I think our moms were pregnant at the same time together and became friends through like prenatal mom classes. Um, so yeah, I'm very happy to have Zora on today to discuss her experience growing up with a multiracial identity and to just, you know, chat with you and think talk about life. <laughs> yeah, I'm super excited. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for coming on. Um, I wanted to start out with kind of the question that's framed this podcast so far, which is, what does home mean to you? Where is home for you? Is home a people, a place, a self you have? Um, however you'd like to answer that. Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I think home, at least to me, especially this year, has been a very um, fluid notion. Um, I go to school in California, but I'm from New York City. So I was sort of uprooted from life in California in March when the pandemic really hit us. Um, and so I've been in New York since and sort of rewalking my childhood stomping ground and like spaces that I didn't think I would be in for as long as I've been here. So in some ways, I do think that this city, New York, is my home. Um, I feel very at home in it. But even beyond that, I, I really find a lot of comfort and hominess um, in my own mind, I'd say. I think uh, sort of over time, I've tried to shape my my way of looking at the world and processing things and sort of like fill my mind with all sorts of different information. And that space that I've created, not a literal space, but uh, more of a, an imaginary one feels very, very comfortable to me at this point, um, which is something I'm super grateful for. It took a long time to feel at home in my own mind. Um, but yeah, I definitely consider my mind to also be my home, which some people think sounds sort of like I'm always in my head and I am a philosophy major. So I spend a lot of time up in there. But um, I do also just think it's a it's a nice place to return to even when I sort of let my mind like, like leave my mind and, and enter the world around me. So my mind in, in New York City, those are my those are my homes. <laughs> those are two great places. Yeah, um, I definitely I think that's very important if if you're changing environments like that and you're able to find, you know, at least that sense of home inside yourself and your mind. Um, and that's really great because I feel like for a lot of people, <laughs> like being with themselves and being in their mind can mm -hmm. be like, you know, overwhelming yeah. or just like not a place they want to be. And definitely the pandemic and, you know, the state of the world right now, I feel like has made us kind of go inside. Um, yeah. Definitely. So that makes me very happy to hear you've come to like a point in your life where that feels like home. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd say it, it took a lot of time. Just like if anyone listening is like, oh, I want to live in my mind too. Like it took a lot. I, I didn't used to be a person who could spend time alone or like 
sort of stay in my head for long periods of time. Um, but once you get there, it's like the best. It's right. Like yeah. So it's been like an evolution then, you know, it's for sure. Yeah. 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 And so can I ask, has your racial identity or bicultural background played a role into, you know, feeling at home in your mind and in yourself, or maybe in the past not feeling at home? And if you could also just tell us like how you identify racially and culturally. Yeah. So racially, I identify as biracial. My mom is black and my dad is white. And they both did like the 23andMe thing. And we have, you know, people in our family from all over the world. Um, but I sort of like to boil it down to just uh, biracial. Um, culturally, I mean, I'd say I was raised culturally white. Um, that's partially because I went to a lot of primary white institutions. Every school I've attended has been a majority white school. Um, and my friends tended to be white. Um for especially in childhood now not not as much but for a long time I was just sort of surrounded by white people and white culture and I know people say like white people have no culture but that's because it's so dominant that we can't even pinpoint what's white culture and what's mm -hmm. not um it's just like sort of all-consuming so um yeah my racial identity didn't wasn't really something I was cognizant of until much later in well I guess I'm 20 years old so like later in my two decade long life so far mm -hmm. Um, in high school, I started to get more interested in what it meant to be biracial and, and to try to define my racial identity for myself, because for so much of my life, it had been defined by other people or, or just not defined at all. Um, and a big part of that reckoning was, um, you know, attending diversity workshops through my school and just like talking to people, reading about what it means to be biracial, um, just trying to think more deeply about what it means personally. Um, and it was it was difficult for a really long time to sort of square being biracial with being uh, at least like culturally very white um, with also just trying to, you know, learn more about my my history and like my family's history. It was a very difficult process and it's definitely ongoing. Um, but yeah, I since since that high school sort of transformative moment, I've definitely allowed race to take the shape that it's or like take more of a role in my life than it did prior. So, um, you know, even in like school, especially what it like in philosophy and literature, which is again, like a super white field, like, you know, you have to read the canon basically. And it's a lot of white guys. Um, I've really tried to make an effort to at least self-educate on sort of the undercurrent black or not undercurrent, but undercurrent in relation to the white canon black history. And, um, and tried to just like learn more about and learn more from people who um, may have seen the world more similarly to the way I see it um, than to how like uh, Socrates did or something. <laughs> right. um, so yeah, it's definitely an ongoing thing, but um, I'm excited to learn more about it too. Yeah. I mean, I'm also really excited to talk to more people and learn more about kind of being in that in-between of race and culture and um, you brought up an interesting point though about like finding more people who kind of who can see the world you the way you do, you know, being in mm -hmm. a major and in a field that's very white centric and yeah. you know, you study the classics and it's like yeah, obviously there it's only old white men. Yeah. Um <laughs> but do you feel that in any way being biracial gives any like 
you know, extra, like I call it like a sixth sense, you know, like mm. extra form of knowledge. Yeah. Um, like in the way that you can tap into maybe like what I know what you mean, like there's no such thing as white culture, but yet the white culture is the dominant culture. So, right. Right. We were, we were raised in the society and socialized mainly around white people. Right. But is there any way that you feel like you have an extra perspective? Mm. Um, if you can like, you know, fit it in those circles and kind of tap into the way of being and kind yeah. of way of interacting. Yeah. yeah. No, I think about that a lot. I mean, I think a lot of privileges come with sort of being able to identify outside of a racial binary. Um, uh, I, I do think, well, I mean, one thing that I think is, is kind of beneficial to me is just the ability to, um, to hear both sides of the story. And this doesn't necessarily have to do with race. Cause I mean, in general, like, the history of white oppression. I don't really want to, you know, sort of agree with that or, or try to understand that more deeply necessarily, mm -hmm. but just on a, on a purely like academic level or, or thinking about like almost any topic, I find that um, I, I feel more closely tied to trying to understand two narratives or find sort of a middle ground as opposed to jumping to like a yes or a no um, or a right or a wrong sort of conclusion. And I, I mean, the human brain, I am going to botch this. I, this is like not real psychology. This is just some <laughs> stuff I've read somewhere, but basically we're, we're, our brain really loves to put like basically compartmentalize things and label things into categories. And so it's very um, attractive and appealing to us to find things like, okay, this is yes. And that is no. And it's very difficult to sort of have yes and no coexist or to think of something in between yes or no. Um, and so I do think, I mean, not to say that my brain is any different than any other person's brain, but to some degree from, you know, being raised in this uh, way of just sort of seeing, seeing the fact that like me and my siblings share these, share, share a background, but have all sorts of different interpretations of our race and of our culture um, has made me able to sort of, uh, appreciate the in-betweenness <laughs> between yes and no and sort of um, think about there being less of a binary in most things and more of more of a spectrum or or just like the existence of things without trying to categorize them or judge them. I, I catch myself not even again like even beyond race just like passing judgment on you know this thing is this law is good or that law is bad you know mm -hmm. I was just sort of thinking about it um, a little bit more the more nuanced way. Um, and also just like, there is a lot of beautiful history about uh, sort of multiracial people and uh, a lot of it's poorly told, but I like learning about that and feeling connected to that is, is really beautiful. I mean, I remember we were both in SDLC in 20 something, 2015, 2016, yeah. yeah. And I remember sitting in the, uh, the multiracial affinity group room and I was like, my, like I was like in like shell shocked by mm -hmm. just the number of people in that room who had similar experiences, you know, in that they, you know, didn't feel like they belonged to either side of a of a fake racial binary, um, but were from completely different backgrounds. Like, you know, being mixed is like a shared identity, but it doesn't mean that like our families look the same. Like they probably don't, and so that was like a really beautiful thing to me, and made me a lot more interested in like, okay, like maybe because we have this history of of people from from different cultures and different backgrounds um, coming together and creating people with these like sort of mixed matched personalities and identities and everything, could we could we sort of shape that, use that history to sort of 
help create unity in the future and and get a future society that's less uh, obsessed with like you know this dividing line right so, right i'm feeling optimistic today though so yes no <laughs> i i i'm with you there um cuz yeah i i i think about like the more multiracial biracial people there are <laughs> it kind of opens the doors a little bit more to listen like race is not so you know, always easily categorized. And mm -hmm. this is going to become, I feel like, more and more of a common experience mm -hmm. um, in terms of like the direction our world's going in, at least yeah. in like in the West or <laughs> America. Yeah. Um, you know, like we are, we are becoming more of a, a multicultural society and, you know, more interracial couplings are happening. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I also – I so I remember being in that room also um, with, like, so many different kinds of mixed mixes and so many different kinds of multicultural people. And I also was like, wow, like, I've never seen, like, so many people with kind of, like, that that feeling of being, right. you know, in between or, or what it feels like to be mixed. But then at the same time, like, to your point, everyone came from such a different background, right? And right. – um, each like, you know, story was very different. Yeah. Uh, we all had the commonality of like, so we know what it's like to belong to one or more groups or to feel right. like we, we don't belong, you know, but at the same time, like, do you think that, you know, because our society is very still much about using race as a way to identify and categorize, right? Mm -hmm. Um, if that were to continue, like, the way we, we use race, do you think mixed race, multicultural people, would that be a way to like categorize it or identify and have that be a collective experience? Because like, I think yes, but I also think no. Right, um, right. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, within sort of like the quote unquote mixed category, category there's just so many unique experiences. Um, but I think that speaks more to like what I hope we'll see race as in the future, because you know, currently there's this notion of, you know, people in one race being sort of a monolith. This is typically used for like black people, white people get to be whatever the fuck they want to be. Oh, <laughs> totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Oh, but, but um, even in like politics and I've, I've worked like on and off in various like political jobs and in like the political sphere and in political history and history and just historically in general, like the black vote is considered this like one chunk of the populace that will all vote in one direction and there isn't a uh, there isn't an understanding of individuality within that group i mean i think it's becoming more and more mainstream to be like hey you know every person's vote is every person's vote and every person's life is is different but um for a long time black people were treated as a sort of monolithic group and so i think sort of like using this mixed race category wherein it's not a homogenous sample, like it's a very heterogeneous one, but it's still, you know, sort of falls under the same umbrella. Um, perhaps that's like a, a good way to look at all people of all races and say, look, you know, you might all be quote unquote black or like quote unquote white, but you're each an individual. You, you all have like different, you know, different histories, different experiences. There's no way we can just sort of put a label on you and stop at that. I mean, that's my problem with like, um, you know, standardized testing. They ask your race at the beginning and you have to bubble it in. It's like, well, you know, I can bubble in like black and white, but it's like, is that really, is saying these two 
plus what x plus y equals like z like zora like is that <laughs> is that accurate no like there's a lot more factors um yeah. so i i really don't think you know racial groups are are at all like homogenous groups and hopefully we can sort of start to shift away from that way of thinking yeah i i definitely agree like that those categories don't really tell anyone or any any form really who you are you know right. where, where you stand or or the background you come from um they used to and i feel like in the future we're moving towards it might not inform so much anymore because even if you are only like monoracially white or monoracially black like Right. Right. Like exactly that phrase, like, you know, black people are not a monolith, you know, and right. I think that applies for for every race at this point. Um, yeah. That made me think about like when growing up, you know, was your race at the forefront of how you thought about yourself um, yeah. or was that kind of like a consciousness that came later because either because like you just kind of realized or because of the way the world kind of received you? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, um, as I said, I was raised like culturally white. Um, so race wasn't really on my mind. I thought of myself as white. I had this weird moment when I was very young where I saw myself in the mirror and I didn't believe that my reflection was me because I thought of myself as this white person. Um, and that continued for a really long time. And then I think my sort of like understanding of race was uh, do at least in part to like the understanding of race of my peers, because as people started to ask me questions about race, I started to become more curious about it. Um, so that started, I want to say like late elementary school, maybe like fourth, fifth grade when people were like, Oh, like, do you think you're more black or more white? And I was like, I don't, what, like, what, is, what are you talking about? Um, and at home in my household there, I mean, we talked about race and we had, my mom was great about, you know, having sort of diverse children's books and like, you know, stories of people from different backgrounds and and mixed race families depicted in sort of the books we consumed. We didn't watch TV or, or movies really. So it's mostly books for us. And they were like in general, pretty diverse. So I got a good, um, a good sampling of sort of like the different types of people from that. But in the real world, it was a lot more harsh and a lot more um, sort of controlling. Like people really wanted to uh, know how I fit into the binary. And then by high school, again, with SDLC, and uh, there's a local diversity conference. I hope it's still going on in New York. It's, it was called Deus. Um, and we had like weekly meetings. You could come and there was a topic that was selected and we discuss it. And it was mostly kids of color. And uh, that started helping me to sort of understand what it meant to be a person of color. Um, and yeah, over over the rest of high school, I kept reading books and just trying to sort of figure out what it meant to be me in the, you know, in this like very kind of messed up world and how to sort of identify as biracial without it being uh, my only identity and without it being like uh, necessarily the first thing I sort of emanate to people. And yeah, even now it's still a question. I, I do think going to college was uh, really beneficial for me in the, in the race department because at least at my school, there are discussions about race on campus, but there is also a space for people who uh, of of various races who just want to like hang out, <laughs> and there isn't as much like I mean there is, there are opportunities to sort of like get really deep in your own um, community, but <laughs> there are other opportunities 
to um, sort of just experience all sorts of different people from different backgrounds. And it really has opened my my eyes a lot more. My high school was pretty narrow in, in the sense that it was mostly white, mostly upper class girl. It was an all girls school. And then college has sort of just like blown the doors off of that. And I'm like, oh my God, there are people from all over the world here. Like I get to sort of hear stories from different people and, and start to understand what it means to live in different places and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, definitely ongoing. I think about it a lot though. Um, it sometimes pops up like when Kamala Harris was um, won the election and when she was first elected to BVP, I would start thinking about race again. And that was a weird contentious sort of moment for me. Cause I was like, don't agree with your politics, but mm-hmm. I representation matters, you know? Like, <laughs> um, So yeah, definitely an ongoing thing. At this point, I treat it as sort of a, it's sort of like a thought bubble that sort of passes through my mind every so often. And then um, I keep going through life. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It's very interesting. Like I'm I'm thinking about right now, like what you just said about Kamala Harris and kind of representation (laughs) of 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 a Black woman, but also a mixed race, a multiracial black woman or multiracial woman, you know, like there's many ways yeah. you could categorize basically or name or yeah. define. Right. Um, and I don't know, I think in this moment politically, uh, we are really trying to reestablish or redefine like what systems are in control, who has power. Yeah. Um, you know, I see a lot of upheaval, but I think, you know, <laughs> in revolution or in like kind of renaming the world and renaming who gets to or redeciding like how do we want to move forward. Yeah. Um, now I I I will acknowledge like I do have bias here. I feel like I'm speaking from a more left perspective, but yeah, I think in that process too, there's a lot of like, okay, well, how do we define what it means to be this? Right. And that can apply to any kind of identity. How do I how do we define like concretely what it means to be um, a woman or a mm-hmm. man or a, a gender fluid person? Right. Or a non-binary person or or that could apply to race. You know, how do we define what it means to be black? You know, is yeah. there an authentic blackness? How do we define what it means to be white? Yeah. And I, I don't think this is like the agenda is to like lock down every individual into an identity. But I think, you know, when when a lot of change is happening, it helps to have like definitions. Mm. Or I think that's, of course, like what our brain might gravitate towards doing, right? Like we need to make sense of the world. Yeah. So I just wanted to ask, like, do you see that kind of, like, I guess identity politics is the word? Yeah. How does that, how does that work with being a biracial, multiracial person or- yeah will that work for a future where maybe race is not the main definer? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, that's a great question. <laughs> that was a very long winded. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's hard too. I mean, it's like, like school. <laughs> yes. um, I really, I hate the notion that each person's identity will govern the sort of politics that, that benefit them or like the, the laws that benefit them in the future. I mean, in a very idealistic sense, I just hope that we have a future of sort of just protection of our species. Like we see ourselves as one species and we try to protect our habitat, the planet that is slowly crumbling and um, protect each other and ourselves. 
I think there really has to start to be an acknowledgement of the fact that we have a very, very messed up past and it's sort of leached into the present. It hasn't sort of ended with like the passage of the Civil Rights Act and um, or the Voting Rights Act. And so therefore we have a responsibility to sort of act and change the future for future generations and, and even for ourselves. And I think my politics have shifted like further and further left as I've gotten older. You know, I used to be sort of like a Hillary Clinton, Obama kind of person. And now I want to burn it to the ground. Like now I'm like, we need to stop doing everything and just sort of like end all institutions, end all systems and just like see what we have left and then build it back up from there. And I think, you know, some of the antidote to um, a lot of the pain, the collective pain we've been suffering are like socialism and communal living and reconnection with nature and listening to indigenous people and the wisdom that we have for so long pushed away and ignored and murdered too. It's, it's difficult for me, again, back to the Kamala Harris thing, it's difficult for me to feel like this election and the outcome are like of the utmost positive good. You know, I still am very anxious about the future. I still think we have a lot more work to do and it probably will have to do with people who are further left than the, those we've elected, although it's obviously a step in the right direction. Um, and I'm definitely like very excited because I, I think a lot of kids our age and, and even younger are sort of opening their eyes to that. And there's a lot more open-mindedness to like socialism and and just like environmentalism, trying to be a more conscious citizen. All of these things seem like they're becoming more and more mainstream, which is super exciting. But yeah, we need to we need to burn it to the ground. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, I wholeheartedly agree with the idea that the way we approach each other in this country, in this world, is very much I am me and that person is is them, you know, like right. the us versus them, right? And instead of this approach of like, we are all a community, right? Or, yeah. I mean, that's reflected in all of our institutions and in all of our practices and in our economy, right? That it's it's not so much about like caring about someone else's health or well-being or mutual aid or yeah. it's 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 not. And And I definitely see how the dividers of identities and race kind of just perpetuates that in a way. I definitely recognize, given the history of this country, why the divider of race is now kind of being turned around where it's like, okay, well, the people who have been kept under, right, and kept down are now saying, well, let's turn the tables, right? Like, let's right. do it, up, let's throw it upside down yeah. um, and let us have a moment to speak and gain power and yeah. and everything that you know, the group, the oppressed group has been neglected, right? Right. But then it's like, okay, well, what comes after that, right? When like the 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 structure of power has been like kind of flipped. It's right. not, it's still, there's still very much like dividing. I feel yeah. like I'm speaking in vague terms, but no, I, you know I, what I, I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like there's yeah. still this like these hierarchies of division or ways to classify and divide. Yeah. And yeah. Um I mean, I just think the notion of power and like having power over another person or another group of people just need, we need to do away with that. Like in every situation when there is somebody who holds sort of like the key to survival in a system, like there is going to be oppression, there is going to be pain, and then there's going to be revolution and it's it tends to repeat itself. 
so yeah, I think it is, I think you're right. Like we can't just sort of change who is in power over and over. And I, and I on top of that, I think like, you know, capitalism <laughs> reinforces all of these notions of power and, and sort of like turning the tables and all of that. And if we can at least just do a war with that, then maybe we have a shot at survival. Um, but yeah, I do think it is, it's, it's it, an urgent matter, which is why, again, like the fact that I, my, I don't have Twitter, but my boyfriend sometimes like shows me tweets of, of people being like, oh, you know, I'm so glad that our president isn't going to be like crazy on Twitter. I'm going to like chill out for the next four years. And I'm like, no, like we have so much more work to do, which is, it's exhausting and really and saddening, but it, it's true. Like we, we need to get started now if we, if we want to survive. Right, right. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, I have a question for you then. Okay. In your envisioning of like us coming together as a people mm-hmm. and and in a future where race is not kind of the defining category or identity, but instead kind of like this, this shared communion of we are humans. Right. Um, I just think about like, you know, what will be like the – the defining way of being. I don't – let me like work this out because I <laughs> – I'll, I'll give you an example. One of my biggest pet peeves, I don't know why, is like commercials on cable TV. Commercials for anything. Commercials yeah. for a new Stop, car yeah. or – because right now I feel like in the advertising world, there's – I mean, and since we've – you know, grown up in the 2000s, 2010s, I feel like there's a huge push for diversity. And so you see in these commercials, like, you know, incredible representation of, of families. I'm just talking about this with my family. <laughs> yeah, no, keep going. Keep or going. you see, like, for the first time, like, wow, like, look, there is a multicultural, uh, you know, mixed race family. Yeah. Um, and wow, like, that's amazing to see that portrayed. Yeah. But then where my frustration comes in, like when I was younger, I, I used to be like, oh my God, that family looks like my family, you know? Mm-hmm. Where my frustration comes in is as I paid closer attention to the way the characters and these <laughs> these commercials were acting, you know, or like their mm-hmm. lifestyle, it was, it was as if the casting director literally had the script and said, okay, we need diversity, right? So like, let's mm-hmm. plug in like a mixed race family here. Let's plug in um, just this character who looks this way and this other character who looks this way. And and like that solves the problem, which it doesn't. That's like for me, a metaphor of the, the future of the United States in a way, um, which I see as like the positions of power might change the players, but- It's still the same. It's yeah. still the same, right? Or like, I just felt like these commercials, <laughs> going on a huge tangent about these commercials. No, 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 no. Like, this is a great, this is good, yeah. It felt like erasure in a way, like mm-hmm. the characters, even though they were either people of color or mixed race families felt like whitewashed. But at the yeah. same time, like that is, like I, I say that and it sounds like a criticism, but at the same time, there are people of color who might be considered whitewashed, you know, or mm-hmm. and living today. Like I, I know like the way I talk or the way I might move seems whitewashed, you know, or right, right, right. Um, and so what is the future of this country look like when kind of the default way of being historically has been to be white mm-hmm. in order to survive here? And now that, you know, this whole plug for diversity, it's like, okay, like you can technically replace the faces, but mm-hmm. like there's still a standard of being in terms of speaking, acting, 
and just interacting that is still very much about it needs to kind of follow the standards of whiteness. Yeah. I literally was just having this conversation with my parents who were watching and, and my siblings who we were all watching SNL and like obviously it's on cable. So you were seeing all these commercials and there were all these car commercials. I think it was mostly cars that were like mixed race families. And we were like, oh, yeah, like mixed race couple. But also it's still, you know, first of all, they're still selling cars, which selling cars right now, like in this economic crisis we're in, like an insane concept. Why are you selling cars? But beyond that, all of the families, and I think you're you're definitely like, I would love to like study this, you know, like get some sort of like AI or something to like actually analyze all of these different um, car commercials. But the families are literally, they. it's a very superficial shift. It's a superficial diversity change of just like, we're going to change the family this year to be one that is, you know, more representative of different communities and different cultures. So yeah, I think you're definitely right about that. And then on the whitewashed, <laughs> the whitewashed part is is an ongoing struggle for me because I think you're right. I think in a lot of ways, I, and I, I did this a lot more when I was younger, but I still catch myself continuing to do this. I sort of just like um, completely assimilated to white culture despite not being white. And that's, you know, my manner of speaking, as you were saying, like the way I dress, like where I buy clothes, where I go to eat, all of that stuff. I sort of adapted from white characters I saw in TV or my white friends and sort of use that to make my own identity. And now I just feel a little bit lost in those spaces, just realizing that I've sort of been tricking myself into buying into this dominant culture for so long. So yeah, I, I hope that in the future we're able to sort of, I basically just don't want there to be a dominant culture. Like I don't think that there should be, you know, one way of thinking or being, or, or, and if you stray from that, you're sort of, you know, some sort of subculture or you should be oppressed or whatever. Um, I, I, I don't think that we need that anymore. I think we sort of, especially again, looking at like this younger generation, I think we've evolved past the need for like this society that we all sort of buy into. And I think we can all have our different notions of, of good and bad and beauty and all of these things. And still live in a communal way and still support each other, but recognize that everyone has, you know, sort of different cultural histories. I mean, one of the challenges with thinking about unity is, and this is something I worry about a lot, is like the fear that if we all became unified, we would sort of melt out all of our differences and all of the things that make us unique and just become this one like melded sort of like weird dystopian, everyone's wearing gray, like Hunger Games-esque thing. Um, and I don't think it has to be that way. I think that's, that's definitely a possibility, but I think we could, I think there must be a way to get to a point where we can all sort of be our own people without feeling like we are either being dominated by or affirmed by, um, some sort of culture that's been reinforced by, you know, car companies and politicians and capitalism. Yeah. No, I, I, Yeah. I really like that that uh, perspective you have. Like we can strive towards unity, but still keep difference and nuance, you know, between yeah. peoples. And um, I hope so. I hope yeah. that can happen. Yeah, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I think we're all trying to figure it out, and I think it probably within ourselves too. Mm. Um, what's happening, like you know, in the microcosm of your life, is really also the macrocosm of the world especially with the legacy of like colonialism and yeah. and now this global capitalism uh, and the U.S. kind of being 
or the U.S. feeling and believing it's the center of the world has kind of made the rest of the world have to kind of play on its terms economically. And then, of course, that affects pop culture. And then it affects, you know, everyone around the world basically speaking English at this point or or having to in order to basically trade or, or do well as a country. And that's been a fear of mine of like this globalization, like, that's happening, like, I guess, yeah, like more people can connect uh, across cultures. This is even happening with like our, our phones and, you yeah. know, like social media. And for example, like if you see a video here or something on whatever platform, and it's also viral in another country. And right, it feels like the world's becoming smaller, but I also understand what you're saying with the way of can erase difference and difference is good. Nuance and cultural history matters. Yeah. So how do we, yeah, how do we like move forward trying to become a more united world or like the idea of being like a global citizen, you know, mm-hmm. like cares about what's going on in the world while at the same time, maybe there's stuff I won't know, you know, or yeah. I can't connect to or like I don't need to know. That's a big thing right now. It's like in order to be like a global citizen, you need to know what's going on all the time or know the history of every place. And this is a very complicated <laughs> topic. Yeah, I think I I get very worried about uh, like global gentrification. That's a good way to put it. Turning different cultures into like more palatable versions of themselves so that they can be consumed by a Western audience really freaks me out. Although I do, I do think there is so much beauty in the technical connection we or technological connection we have with, you know, people in different parts of the world and even different parts of our own country. But I do think you're right. I think there's a difference between being an informed citizen, you know, you know about things going on, you're not sort of just like keeping your head in the sand and being like a, basically like an informational colonizer, like trying to like get in there and like adopt all of these other um, ways of being and sort of like warp them to to work with you. That's a very fine line and and I think it is often crossed. I haven't thought too deeply about it, mostly because I've just been so overwhelmed with this country. Like, I have friends who study international relations. I am so deep in, like, worrying about QAnon and, like, what is the long-lasting, you know, impact of Trump going to be and, like, all of this stuff where I it, – it makes it a lot more difficult for me to to think about things in a, in a global way, which is which is certainly not an ideal way to be. Well, there, we have a lot on our plate here, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, like, I feel like – trying to like define and like redefine and and figure out what is it to be American, you know, because we have enough division here, you know, and touching back on the idea of unity. I think about like people who live in a completely different reality from what I know. Right. Just as like what I'm saying and what I believe feels very true to me. I know that that's the case for them too. And especially after Trump was elected in 2016 and the rhetoric of, I don't understand those people, right? Like them. Uh, And like, these are all the ways that like they invalidate my or other people's existence. These are all their belief systems that are hurtful and harmful. Um, So it's really easy to check them off, you know, cross them off. Yeah. But polarization happens from both sides. And I don't really know what the answer is because I also – have my belief systems and values like what do you do you have any idea um it's so hard I don't know I don't have any like concrete proposal but um my dad's side of the family some of them are 
most of them are a lot more politically conservative than I am. And, and some of them are very, very conservative. And it's difficult because I know them as, you know, cousins and people who I have a shared history with, but our lives and the way that we see the world are just so vastly different. So it's very difficult to sort of connect those dots. But I, I do think at least knowing those people more closely than I know, you know, average Trump supporter X on Fox or whatever has helped me to sort of begin to try to understand their perspectives. And I think a lot of that, those politics are just like deeply rooted in fear. And that's something I think everybody can sort of empathize with. You know, um, we're all afraid of, of various things. And as the world changes, if you're in a dominant position and historically have been in a dominant position forever, it can be scary to see other people rising to power and people who you can't really relate to or who don't speak your same sort of cultural language or whatever. That is is something that I guess I can sort of try to understand. The way that it makes itself known politically is is still impossible for me to get. I, I can't really connect the dots with, you know, being anti-immigration or, or, you know, just sort of cruel. But yeah, I think if we can begin to communicate with people on a more basic level and, and ask, what is, what is the emotion behind a lot of the political decisions um, that they're making and a lot of their, their issues when they go in the voting booth, then perhaps there's a way to connect. Again, like I have, I've had a good week. I'm pretty optimistic right now. If you'd gotten me at like a different time, I might've been like, there's no way we're ever going to connect. Like humanity's doomed. <laughs> but I do think there is something core that we could tap into and sort of begin to understand and repair the country politically. I, I truly think that's possible. I don't think I could do it. I mean, maybe it's like a whole legion of us, a ton of people doing right, it. Yeah. But yeah, I think that there, there's, there's hope. There is definitely hope. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think you made a really good point. Like, well, fear is a huge, a huge component to that. But also I see it as like too, like as belonging in a sense. Everyone wants to belong, right? And that's the human need is to feel heard and feel like you have others who accept you, right? Mm-hmm. And and I, I get that to live in a country that doesn't accept you or your story or make you feel like you belong for, for anyone. So I'm not mm-hmm. saying either side politically. I think that's what's kind of led to the polarization probably. To your point, like the world is changing so fast from like the last 10 years, last 20 years. Like what's the norm and what's acceptable morally? And, yeah. you know, it's, it's, all, it's always changing. And yeah. But if we can find a way to make it change for the better, <laughs> for the better, yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I, 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 I really hope we can get there. We have yeah. to get there. Yeah, I mean, I think I've always seen that uh, the world is not one way or the the other, right? There's right. a lot of <laughs> in betweenness. There's a lot of nuance, a lot of gray area, um, yeah. and I feel like if we can move in that direction you know, that's where a lot will get done. I totally agree with that. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of beauty in finding sort of a middle ground compromise, even you could call it. But I feel like there are negative connotations with compromise, but whatever it is, like sort of not, not just allowing yourself to be drawn in by these like flashy binary decisions and labels and, and sort of allowing yourself to exist in in the middle space. There's a lot of beauty there. There's a lot, there's a lot to be learned. 
And yeah, I mean, I think if, I think, you know, all of these, even like the, the minor cultural issues we have now, like cancel culture and which I consider a minor cultural issue, I guess for some people it's like a huge deal, but I, a lot, a lot of the like sort of internet created hyper media insanity, I think could be solved by just people allowing there to be multiple truths and, and living in between those truths and not, not just being so obsessed with finding like that one good thing um, and clinging to it. Yeah, and exactly, exactly that. If we can hold multiple truths instead of the big capital T truth, we'll go, yeah. we'll go far. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sora, for coming on today. I loved our conversation. Yeah, it's just so fun. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're planting the seeds. I feel like through conversation or through kind of the collective consciousness, change happens. I mean, it doesn't, it's not overnight, but thank you for just going there with me today. Of course. And I'm around to talk if anybody listening out there would like to d- discuss anything. Um, you can, you can find my information. I'm sure it's Yes, it will be posted. Yeah, check Zora out. Zora is awesome. Say hi. (laughs) The In-Between Project is recorded in Miami, Florida and Santiago, Chile. Produced and edited by me, Noah Richard. Music is composed by Diego Richard. The In-Between Project is a podcast made for the nonprofit organization Humanity in Action. Check out more from The In-Between Project at our Instagram, link down below in the transcript, or send me a message to my Instagram or email also linked down below.